Welcome to Set Free 24-7. My name is Robert, and I am so glad that you're here joining us for a journey through the Bible. And welcome, Heidi. Well, hello, and I'm back for what is this now? Day five? Day number five. Yes. Thank I... you for starting a good habit with us this mm-hmm. year. We appreciate your encouragement and support and most of all prayers as we go through this Bible in a year. That's right. I've got my deliciously <laughs> fresh brewed coffee. Thanks, love. We are reading out of the message version. If you've never heard the message version, it's a paraphrase of the Bible, easy to understand, inviting. And if you've heard the Bible in different stories through years of your life, this is just a way to put a fresh set of eyes on the text. Yes. What I've also come to really like about this, reading some of the Old Testament along with the New Testament, listen for the common elements through Mm. there. I love how it's tying it all together. Yes. And I think that's important. I often just kind of don't read in the Old Testament because I'm a New Testament kind of girl, but I am loving how the symbolism and the reason for the laws and the rules and the reason for all the names being listed. All the names speak of the like yesterday. You did great yesterday. We on that had list some. Of names. I mean, that was a tough list of names. It was. So anybody that's out there that knows how to pronounce all those names, I'm sorry if I offended you with. <laughs> no. Well, prepare to be offended as we go through the Old Testament. I do believe there's going to be some more names because coming up. Because we're not scholars by any no. means. We're <laughs> not big Bible degrees or anything. We're just two people that are passionate about Jesus. We like reading the Bible, and we love sharing that passion with you. Mm -hmm. So put us on in the background, grab a cup of coffee, maybe you're on your drive into work, whatever. We're happy that you're here and joining us. Yes, we are. So we'll jump right in here to Matthew 3. If you're following along, I'm going to have all of the text that we're reading today down in the comments. Feel free to look up verses or chapters in your favorite version, or just allow us to do the reading for you. We're happy to do that either way. We absolutely are. So Matthew chapter 3, it starts out saying, While Jesus was living in the Galilean hills, John, called the baptizer, was preaching in the desert country of Judea. His message was simple and austere like his desert surroundings. Change your life! God's kingdom is here! John and his message were authorized by Isaiah's prophecy. Thunder in the desert! Prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John dressed in a camel hair habit tied at the waist by a leather strap. He lived on a diet of locusts and wild field honey. People poured out of Jerusalem, Judea, and the Jordanian countryside to hear and see him in action. There at the Jordan River, those who came to confess their sins were baptized into a changed life. When John realized that a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience because it was becoming, you know, the popular thing to do, he exploded. Brood of snakes. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snakeskins is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think that you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a descendant of Abraham is neither here nor there. Descendants of Abraham are a dime a dozen. What counts is your life. Is it green and flourishing? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. 
I'm baptizing you here in this river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. Ooh. Powerful. It says it like it is. And my takeaway, street names are a thing. John had one. He's known by the baptizer. The baptizer. That's right. So. Now we're going to bounce over to Acts chapter 3. All right, let's got see this what we've got to learn here, Acts chapter 3. One day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way into the temple for prayer meeting. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, Look here. He looked up, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. The man went into the temple with them, walking back and forth, dancing and praising God. Everybody there saw him walking around and praising God. They recognized him as the one who sat begging at the temple's gate beautiful and rubbed their eyes, astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. The man threw his arms around Peter and John, ecstatic. All the people ran up to where they were at Solomon's porch to see it for themselves. When Peter saw he had a congregation, he addressed the people, Oh, Israelites, why does this take you by such complete surprise? And why stare at us as if our power or piety made him walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his son Jesus the very one that Pilate called innocent, you repudiated. You repudiated the Holy One, the Just One, and asked for a murderer in his place. You no sooner killed the author of life than God raised him from the dead, and we're the witnesses. Faith in Jesus' name put this man, whose condition you know so well, on his feet. Yes, faith and nothing but faith put this man healed and whole right before your eyes. And now, friends, I know you had no idea what you were doing when you killed Jesus, and neither did your leaders. But God, who through the preaching of all the prophets had said all along that his Messiah would be killed, knew exactly what you were doing and used it to fulfill his plans. Now it's time to change your ways. Turn to God so he can wipe away your sins, pour out showers of blessing to refresh you, and send you the Messiah he prepared for you, namely Jesus. For the time being, he must remain out of sight in heaven until everything is restored to order again, 
just the way God, through the preaching of his holy prophets of old, said it would be. Moses, for instance, said, Your God will rise up for you a prophet, just like me from your family. Listen to every word he speaks to you. Every last living soul who refuses to listen to that prophet will be wiped out from the people. All the prophets from Samuel on down said the same thing, said most emphatically that these days would come. These prophets, along with a covenant God made with your ancestors, are your family tree. God's covenant word to Abraham provides the text. By your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed, but you are first in line. God, having raised up his son, sent him to bless you as you turn one by one from your evil ways. Hmm. That family tree, there's a reason we're reading all those names because it's giving that family tree all the way to Jesus. There was a little side note here in the Message Bible, and I love how it does this. It has little commentaries about Mm -hmm. different things, and I thought this was interesting. This is about uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 11 that you were reading just now. It said, the first thing that Peter did when he encountered the crippled man was to establish his inability to do something. He confessed his economic inability. He didn't try to do what he couldn't do. He admitted his insufficiency. He was inferior, but he specified exactly the area of his inferiority. He didn't have any money. But, and this is the most important, he didn't use that as an excuse for doing nothing. He didn't say that just because he couldn't do what the crippled man asked him to do, that he had no further responsibility in the matter. Instead, he said, but what I do have, I give you. This is a great example of what Christian action is. The willingness to respond with everything that you are to the person who comes into focus as your brother or sister. Ooh, that's... God doesn't ask you to do anything other than what you can do, but he does ask you to do that. Christian action is the willingness to respond to the needs around you with that which is uniquely you. That's convicting. It's very convicting. It seems like every time I turn around lately, I've been convicted in a certain area. So now we'll jump back to Psalm number five. This is a David Psalm also. Starts out, listen, God, please pay attention. Can you make sense of these ramblings, my groans and my cries? King God, I need your help. Every morning you'll hear me at it again. Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for fire to descend. You don't socialize with the wicked or invite evil over as your house guest. Hot air boasters collapse in front of you. I love that, hot air boasters. (laughs) (laughs) You shake your head over the mischief maker. God destroys lie speakers. Bloodthirsty and truth benders disgust you. And here I am, your invited guest. It's incredible. I enter your house. Here I am, prostrate in your inner sanctum, waiting for directions to get me safely through enemy lines. Every word that they speak is a landmine. Their lungs breathe out poison gas. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Pile on the guilt, God. Let their so-called wisdom wreck them. Kick them out. They've had their chance. 
but you'll welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. Let the party last all night. Stand guard over our celebration. You are famous, God, for welcoming God-seekers and for decking us out in delight. It's a party. It is a party. <laughs> oh, heaven and, is a celebration, I'm telling you. And now we'll bounce all the way back to Genesis, and we'll be reading Genesis chapter 12 through 14. I'll read a couple, and then Heidi will close us out again today. The odds are great there's going to be some names. <laughs> there probably will be names. <laughs> Bring them. So Genesis 12, God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and bless you. I will make you famous. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, just as God said, and Lot left with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot with him, along with all the possessions and the people that they had gotten in Haran. And they set out for a land of Canaan and arrived safe and sound. Abram passed through the country as far as Shechem and the Oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites occupied the land. God appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your children. Abram built an altar at the place God had appeared to him. He moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent between Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. He built an altar there and prayed to God. Abram kept moving, steadily making his way south to the Negev. Then a famine came to the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live. It was a hard famine. As he drew near to Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, we both know that you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, Aha, that's his wife, and they'll kill me. But they'll let you live. So do me a favor. Tell them that you're my sister. Because of you, they'll welcome me and then let me live. When Abram arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look and saw that his wife was stunningly beautiful. Pharaoh's princes raved over her to Pharaoh. She was taken to live with Pharaoh. Because of her, Abram got along very well. He accumulated sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men and women servants, and camels. But God hit Pharaoh hard because of Abram's wife Sarai. Everybody in the palace got seriously sick. Pharaoh called for Abram. What's this that you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I'd take her as my wife? Here's your wife back. Take her and get out. Pharaoh ordered his men to get Abram out of the country. They sent him and his wife and everything that they owned on their way. That's... Wow. Imagine being Sarai. I know. Yeah, you're my sister, and now I'm going to give you to the Pharaoh to be used as however he wants to use you. Meanwhile, what, can you imagine? That'd be like you tossing me. How desperate was the famine that oh. they were under? I mean, for him to make that decision 
about his wife, how desperate was that famine situation? How little trust did he have in God in that situation that he sacrificed his wife who he's supposed to love? I find it funny that there wasn't punishment for him for that in this instance. Like, you didn't trust me. Well, there was punishment. He got kicked back out. Well, he had to leave. He yeah, lied. He, he had all of his stuff, though. Anyway, moving on, chapter 13. <laughs> <laughs> so Abram left Egypt and went back to the Negev, he and his wife and everything he owned, and Lot was still with him. By now, Abram was very rich, loaded with cattle and silver and gold. He moved on from the Negev, camping along the way to Bethel, the place that he had first set up his tent between Bethel and Ai, and built his first altar. Abram prayed there to God. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, was also rich in sheep and cattle and tents, but the land couldn't support both of them. They had too many possessions. They couldn't both live there. Quarrels broke out between Abram's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living on the land at the time. Abram said to Lot, let's not have fighting between us, between your shepherds and my shepherds. After all, we're family. Look around. Isn't there plenty of land out there? Let's separate. If you go left, I'll go right. And if you go right, I'll go left. So Lot looked. He saw the whole plain of the Jordan spread out, well watered. This was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was well watered like God's garden, like Egypt, and stretching all the way to Zoar. Lot took the whole plain of the Jordan. Lot set out to the east. And that's how they came to part company, uncle and nephew. Abram settled in Canaan, and Lot settled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. The people of Sodom were evil, flagrant sinners against God. After Lot separated from him, God said to Abram, Open your eyes, look around, look north, south, east, and west. Everything you see, the whole land spread out before you, I will give you and your children forever. I'll make your descendants like dust. Counting your descendants will be as impossible as counting the dust of the earth. So on your feet, get moving. Walk through the country, its length and breadth. I'm giving it all to you. Abram moved his tent. He went and settled by the oaks of Mamre in Hebron. And there he built an altar to God. Hmm. It says there forever. Forever. Israel will forever be there and mm. promised. Yes, he did. That's how this tiny little country mm. maintains its independence all the time. God said, you're here forever. All right, chapter 14. Closing us out. Oh boy, I got names. Ooh, <laughs> right yes. off the get-go. That was a good guess Ooh, on my hang part. Hang on to your hats, everyone. I'm going to butcher some names here, but you I'm going this. to do my best. All right. Chapter 14. Then this Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goam, went off to war to fight Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemabar, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar. This second group of kings 
the attacked came together at the Valley of Siddam, that is, the Salt Sea. They had been under the thumb of Kedorlaomer for 12 years. In the 13th year, they revolted. In the 14th year, Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him set out and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Sheba, Kiriathaim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as Alperin on the far edge of the desert. On their way back, they stopped at En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and conquered the whole region of the Amalekites, as well as that of the Amorites who lived in Hazazan, Tamar. That's when the king of Sodom marched out with the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. They drew up in battle formations against their enemies in the valley of Sedum, against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goam, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariat, king of Elisar, four kings against five. The valley of Sedum was full of tar pits. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, they fell into the tar pits, but the rest escaped into the mountains. The four kings captured all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food and equipment, and went on their way. They captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who was living in Sodom at the time, taking everything he owned with them. A fugitive came and reported to Abram the Hebrew. Abram was living at the Oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and Aner. They were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his nephew had been taken prisoner, he lined up his servants, all of them born in his household. There were 318 of them and chased after the captors all the way to Dan. Abram and his men split into small groups and attacked by night. They chased them as far as Hobah, just north of Damascus. They recovered all the plunder along with nephew Lot and his possessions, including the women and the people. After Abram returned from defeating Caterlaomer and his allied kings, the king of Sodom came out to greet him in the Valley of Sheba, the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the high God and blessed him. Blessed be Abram by the high God, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the high God who handed your enemies over to you. Abram gave him a tenth of all the recovered plunder. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me back the people, but keep all the plunder for yourself. But Abram told the king of Sodom, I swear to God, the high God, creator of heaven and earth, this solemn oath that I'll take nothing from you, not so much as a thread or a shoestring. I'm not going to have you go around saying, I made Abram rich. Nothing for me other than what the young men ate and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, there to get their share of the plunder. And here we are. I find it interesting that, as promised to Canaan, he was going to be, his family and the generations that followed him were going to always 
be taken over and ruled by. Mm. And we had read that earlier, and now we're seeing it happen. They went through Canaan, and God said, I'm giving this to you. Yeah. Canaan didn't get to keep it. Yeah. So just like it was told. And here we are again. Look at this. It's just an amazing 20-some minutes. You get a little bit of Bible. You get some commentary from us. You get to spend some time with us in the morning. And we appreciate having you follow along. So if you're in your car, if you're just enjoying that cup of coffee, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. We do. And give this episode a like, a share, a follow. We are just in the beginning of growing this channel. So your support in that area means so much to us. It absolutely does. We really appreciate you being here. So thank you again for joining us on a journey through the Bible, reading through the message version. We're doing this in one year and we are happy to have you along. Feel free to jump in at any point and we will see you tomorrow for day number six. Until then, have the very best Thursday ever. Bye.